message this morning is based on Luke 2, verses 1 to 7. We'll open our Bibles and have that in front of us. Read that together. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, on Christmas the church takes time to reflect on the incredible mystery and blessing of the incarnation, the coming into the flesh of uh, the Son of God. Although God had revealed himself on the earth in many different ways, in the Garden of Eden, talking to the patriarchs and even giving people, symbols of his willingness to dwell among them in the tabernacle and the temple, the faithful understood that they were seeing but the footstool or the hem of a garment, the glory of God. When the temple was dedicated, we read in 1 Kings 8 that Solomon asked the question, he said, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built, yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. And that's the amazing and the incomprehensible thing about Christmas. The eternal creator who dwells in in the heavens, in the highest heaven, who dwells in unapproachable light and holiness, actually became a part of the creation he had made. Our God experienced firsthand what it's like to be a human on this earth. Yes, Solomon, indeed, God did dwell on the earth. The Word became flesh, and we have seen His glory. Luke 2 describes the time and the manner that the glorious, eternal, almighty, faithful, covenant Lord entered the world in order to save people who had been shaking their fists at him in rebellion and fear. So what does it look like? What does it look like when the God of love, the divine King, comes into the world he made in order to bear the burden of his own wrath against the sins of his creatures? What does it look like when the Son of God empties himself of the glory he had with the Father to take on our human nature. What did it look like? Well, Luke 2 verses 1 to 7 tells us. And taking into account the census and the cultural differences, it was just another ordinary birth of a child into this world. In fact, considering the focus on that registration and all the other excitement, it appears that the birth of Jesus as a baby in the side room of a a guest house where animals were sometimes kept was even overshadowed 
by big Rome's muscle flex. When God came to the earth, he came in such humility that it would hardly have been noticed at all if he had not made it known to the angels, or by the angels and to the shepherds. And yet this very fact of his humility is the message of Christmas that I preached to you under the theme, the Son of God entered the world as a powerless baby. We'll see that he chose to be born as Rome's servant, Mary's son, and your Savior. When Jesus was born, the political might and power was in the hands of the Romans who had been taking, taken over and occupied the promised land. Octavian Caesar Augustus, he issued a decree and, and all the world, the entire Roman world was affected. His words were that powerful. Caesar wanted to know how many people he ruled over, probably for tax purposes. And all the countries and all the people under his control, under the control of his government and his armies, they had no choice but to comply. And although it appears, looking at the records, that Quirinius only became the titled governor of Syria a few years afterwards, he was the Roman administrator who decided that they would count the Jewish people according to their customs. And so everyone was legally bound to go to their own tribal town to register. Whatever their political views may have been, Joseph and Mary were also servants of Rome. Inconvenient or not, pregnant or not, they were bound by the law of the land to make their way to Bethlehem. And as a result, their names were written with a pen in a Roman registry in Bethlehem around five years B.C. And the scroll with their names, with, with the names Joseph and Mary, and perhaps even Jesus, were written on a piece of paper that was sent to Rome, where that great machinations of the Roman government could consider their situation when they, when they made their plans for the future. Depending on the requirements of the census, the exact time of Jesus' birth while they were there, we read, it's possible that the Son of God's name was also written down on the register. It may be found in some archives somewhere at some time. The Lord ensured that when he came into the world, it was recorded and registered. He truly came to earth as a human baby in the history of our world. And the Son of God chose to come into a situation in which it would become immediately clear to see that his kingdom was not of this world. And his strength and his power were not of the earthly and the temporary, the, the Roman kind. Although Zechariah had announced that his son, it's in Luke 1 verse 69, that his son John would herald the coming of the Lord and he calls the Lord the horn of salvation, that Savior's might and success that's pointed to with the word horn, it could not be seen when he was born as a servant of Rome. The registration was a stinging reminder for all the Jews of how powerless they had become, how under the thumb 
of another government they had become. They were not free to do what they wanted. Mary and Joseph were obliged by their pagan ruler to travel around 145 kilometers to a town about eight kilometers south of Jerusalem on the heights of the, the central on the heights of central Israel. The Son of God chose to take on our human flesh at a time when all his powerlessness could be seen in the world's eyes. And in this way, he reveals to us what we can expect of this Savior, Jesus Christ. This was not a king we should turn to if we are looking for political power. He is not the the warrior king who would overthrow the occupying forces of Rome, even though his disciples were still expecting that after he rose from the dead. Jesus Christ is a different kind of king, for he is a king who had come to serve the citizens of his kingdom, of his heavenly kingdom. He came to serve by giving power to the very earthly rulers who would later condemn him to death and hang him on the cross, one of their crosses, their forms of punishment. He was a king who didn't come to rule here on the earth, but to give himself up for the subjects of his kingdom so that he could rule us from his throne in heaven forever. Our Lord Jesus chose to be born as a servant of Rome because Rome was a servant of the Most High's plans. Rome was the nation that God had chosen to serve the people of God by providing the administrative and the political structures that would serve as the social context for the effective work of Jesus Christ. The Lord used Rome as an instrument to get Mary and Joseph away from Nazareth and Galilee to the town of David, to Bethlehem in, in Judah. That's what the prophet Micah had announced. The Lord used Rome to register Joseph and, and Mary and, and confirm the time of Jesus' birth in the world. And then he used Rome again to ensure that the gospel could easily spread from Jews to Gentiles throughout the world. At the end of Jesus' life, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, the one named in our our creed, the Apostles' Creed, he confirmed for the world, for the church, that Jesus was officially condemned by God. And then Rome was an important servant, an instrument, a tool in God's kingdom work in the days of Paul, when he benefited not only from the good roads and the peace and a common language, but also from the Roman chains that he said served to advance the gospel. The Son of God was born as a servant of Rome so that Rome might serve the Almighty God's work, which Mary and all the faithful in Israel were awaiting for such a long time. While Rome just did its typical Roman things, and the false perception that they were in control, that they were the powerful ones. The Lord, who really is in control of everything, He fulfilled the ancient promises 
that we sang about Isaiah 9. He fulfilled those promises by entering the world through the womb of the Virgin Mary. He chose to be born as Mary's firstborn son. The one who existed before all the Old Testament types, the one who was there at the creation of the world, was used by God, used these types to reveal what he is really like. And then he finally came into the world to save his people from their sins, as the angel told Joseph. The one who was the root of Jesse. He was there, we think of, of the Ruth, we read about Ruth. The root of Jesse took on human flesh to become the branch of Jesse, the descendant of Jesse through the line of David. The prophecies had announced that the promised Messiah would be born as the Lion of Judah in the house of David, in the town of Bethlehem, from the womb of a virgin, Isaiah 7. And then Luke 2, verses 4 to 6 confirms that everything happened according to the ancient prophecies. After reading verse 4, Luke 2 verse 4, you're left in no doubt that by the providential guiding hand of the Almighty Lord, the distant descendant of Ruth, Obed, Jesse, and David returned to his hometown. David's name is mentioned two times because everyone knew that the promised Messiah would be the one that the Lord promised He would place on David's throne to reign forever. And so if everyone's name was written down in these registers at that time, we can imagine that the list, the names presented to the Roman government would have looked a lot like the lists we read in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke. Although it's unclear if Mary was obligated to join Joseph to register in the census, Luke tells us that she was there with, her, with Joseph to whom she was betrothed. Mary is presented as Joseph's betrothed who was with child. That tells us that Mary was legally bound to marry Joseph, but before they even had sexual relations, she had been made pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. The virgin was with child, just as the prophet Isaiah foretold. The virgin was with child, just as the angel explained to Mary in the chapter before, Luke 1, verses 26 to 38. When the Holy Spirit came upon her and the power of the Most High overshadowed her, little Mary, an instrument in God's hand. Mary, chosen by God to be the Son of God's mother, to be Jesus' mother. The Lord Jesus took on the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary. What does it look like when God Almighty, the mighty King, comes down beside us to comfort us with His love? It seems almost too incredible for words to think that a young woman in Judah gave birth to the Son of God who took on human flesh. And yet Luke states it as if Jesus was born like any other baby is born. Mary had been pregnant for around nine months, and then she gave birth to a child. And sometime while they were in Bethlehem, likely not on the night of arrival, as so many dramatized versions have assumed, like every other mother in the world, 
Mary, too, would have felt the labor pains that God promised when He cursed the world after Adam and Eve had been tempted by the serpent. The umbilical cord that connected Jesus to Mary would have had to have been cut. And it's most likely that other women were around helping Mary, passing cloths, warming water, and and participating in the birth as witnesses. The flesh and blood that the Son of God took on from the Virgin Mary would have given him genes that given to him from his mother that would have made him look in appearance like her. And so right from birth, we read very clearly, our Lord Jesus, the Son of God, was born of woman. He was born under the law. And Galatians 4 says, so that he might redeem us under the law. Although it would have been obvious from the context, the Holy Spirit makes special mention that Jesus was Mary's firstborn son. This not only clarifies that Mary would have other children with Joseph, but it also assures us that all the honors and all the privileges of of the family's Davidic lineage would fall upon him. He was the heir of the line of the house of David. After being consecrated to the Lord as all other firstborn in Israel, like we read about in the verses after our text, Our text assures us that Jesus was the the legal heir to David's kingship. Nothing is left out in God's plan. Nothing significant in God's plan is left unmentioned in our text. That's because the text today is given to us to announce that the Son of God chose to enter this world as a powerless servant of Rome and a royal son of David through Mary and Joseph so that he might save his people from their sins. He chose to be born as your Savior. After Jesus was born, he was laid in a manger because there was no place in the inn. Although he had created the world, which he was now Coming to save, the Son of God was not recognized as the holy Savior that he was. Although when we hear the word in, we should be thinking of any type of lodging place, including guest rooms in the, in the home of friends, perhaps similar to the upper room where Jesus and his disciples celebrated the Last Supper. And the manger that was in this room was probably found in the lower portion of the same house where animals were kept when they couldn't be kept outside. The point of this all is that he was born here as a lowly Jew in the time of a Roman occupation. The amazing gospel is that God came, to, chose to humble himself in this way. We see the humility of Jesus Christ right from the moment of his birth. And we see that little swaddled, that little wrapped present placed in the manger was the best gift that humanity could ever receive. At Christmas, we focus on the time when the Son of God came to earth in God's way and in God's plan. We think about the details, we think about the the evening 
But the big question we need to ask is why? Why did he come? And it's because we are sinners. It's because we fell into sin. We have a heart that is inclined to rebel against God. It's because creatures deserve eternal condemnation for their sins. And God didn't want that for his chosen people. The Son of God entered the world for his church. He humbled himself to the humiliation of a powerless Jewish baby servant of Rome who was born of a woman under the law because he wanted to save his people. Jesus took on our human flesh so that he could die for human flesh. He entered the world of of sinners on Christmas morning, displaced by Rome, so that he could be lifted up from the world on a Roman cross to bear the burden of God's wrath against our sins. He came to earth to be placed in a manger so that we could be lifted up and given a mansion in heaven. Everything that we see the Son of God doing in our text. He came to do for us who believe. And that's the joy of this Christmas day. And as we read, as we think about what he, what he did, his obedience, his humiliation, his love, his, 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 his care and compassion, the mighty King coming down to, to comfort us as, like a little child, we're seeing what God considers us to have done. His righteousness is our righteousness. His obedience is counted as our obedience. His love is counted as our love. Through his weakness, he bore our weakness. Through his suffering, he bore our suffering. Through his death, he saved us from death. Through his life, we have life. When Jesus Christ was born, he did not have earthly riches or political might, but through his obedience, he saved us from the wrath of the holy creator of heaven and earth. And by his resurrection, by his ascension, he broke the teeth of death so that he could bring everyone who believes in him up to himself into heavenly joy and glory until he comes again. Christmas is a time for looking forward to his return. So what does our day look like? It's not, it's not enough to simply acknowledge that a baby was born some time ago and his name was Jesus. This is an this is, This is obviously a fact that would never have been denied by his most fearsome enemies who who saw him walking around on this earth some 2,000 years ago. The the, the Roman who who got the census, he, he would have seen Jesus' name here on the earth. Christmas is more than just acknowledging that Jesus was born in the world. It's not enough to just get all the details about his birth correct. Any person nearby would have been able to do that. Why then did God reveal the birth of Jesus Christ to you, to I, to to you and to me today? 
so that we might believe and acknowledge that God kept his promises, that he sent his only begotten son to the earth for our sakes. He wants his church to know the depth of his love for us. Let that joyous thought be in your mind as you sing your Christmas songs, as you enjoy a break with with brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, we, the, the family of God, by God's grace, we believe. And by God's grace, that Son of God, who once was a child placed in a manger, is now ruling in heaven. He's ruling in our lives as our Lord and Savior. And so we sing with the angels, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Amen.